It's a great day. You know, I noticed some of our crowd is missing this morning. I think it takes a little while to line up those Tostitos or whatever and get them in the right order for the game, but I think the priority might be wrong. This morning, we're going to talk about a kingdom, all right? We're going to talk about the kingdom of God. Amen? Um, On D-Day, June the 6th, 1944, the largest seaborne landing in history occurred. The invasion of Normandy was the first successful opposed landing across the English Channel in nine centuries. Movies like Saving Private Ryan and Band of Brothers, as well as books like The Longest Day and The Greatest Generation, have taught young people not in carnage of war, but the tremendous courage displayed by the Americans, the British, the Canadians, the Polish, the French troops during that pivotal moment in World War II. According to all of the historical resources available to anybody online today, more than 150,000 troops were committed to the initial invasion, employing 6,900 vessels, 4,100 landing craft, and 12,000 airplanes flying 14,000 attack missions. A thousand of these airplanes were transports that parachuted troops behind enemy lines the night before the invasion in order to thwart counterattacks. And within two weeks, the British landed an additional 314,547 men, 54,000 vehicles, and 102,000 tons of supplies, while the Americans put ashore 314,504 men, 41,000 vehicles, and 116,000 tons of supplies at Omaha Beach. An underwater pipeline called Pluto was constructed to deliver fuel from Britain to the the invading forces. The preparation and the cost in terms of human lives of this military action were enormous, but the invasion of Normandy settled the outcome of World War II in Europe. Once the Allied forces had established a beachhead in Europe, the die was cast and the final outcome of the war was no longer in doubt. The Battle of the Bulge and other potentially catastrophic reversals were still to come, but the invasion of Normandy was, was so massive and successful that it allowed the outliers to turn every counterattack into another victory. And as if preordained, the outcome was clear. The evils of Hitler and fascism would be conquered. Now, I read that from a lot of sources. In one sense, the great invasions of history are like the way in which God in the great cosmic struggle between good and evil chose to deal with Satan's rule over the earth, he invaded. But not with a massive logistical support and huge armies. Rather, in a way that confounded and perplexed the wisdom of humanity, it was a quiet invasion. It was an invasion that began with the birth of a child, a baby. It would bring about the establishment of a beachhead, his own ministry, and then by... uh, establishing a peaceful occupying force his church would carry on god's redemption until he will return in power and glory at the kingdom's final triumph god chose to invade the planet earth in the person of his son what christians call the incarnation god made flesh he did so to rescue fallen humans and he became human so that we could become holy 
Driscoll and Bashirs in their book said the revolutionary nature of God's invasion of our world is far more significant than all of the other invasions of history taken together. This one established the possibility of the rule of God in every human heart and began the reclamation of our world as God's own. So what do we mean when we talk about the, un- the incarnation? Christians believe that Jesus, the Son of God, came to the earth in the form of an infant baby conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Last week we talked about God and the defining belief of a Christian in God the Father, the creator of heaven and earth. We talked about three different principles of theories regarding creation, uh, that we came from nothing, that we're part of a universal mind, and third, that we came from a personal God who is the creator over all. And we talked for a moment last week about Jesus and the Logos and what people believed at that time. And as we begin to look again at what Christians believe this morning, this idea of the universal mind is going to come into play once again. It wasn't just the Greeks who believed in the Logos, this universal mind, but to the Hebrews, the word of God was the presence and the action of God breaking into human history with unparalleled power and authority. God's word indicated action an agent accomplishing the will of God. For the Hebrews, God's speech and action were one. The Greeks believed in the universal mind, but the Hebrews believed that God's word and speech were the center of their lives. And it's in that, into that great collision that John, the apostle, writes the biography of Jesus in the Greek language, and he begins with the concept of the word. But he uses it differently than it had been used before. He reuses it to refer to the second person of the Trinity that we're going to talk about today, Jesus Christ. John, who describes himself as the beloved disciple, we have pictures of John throughout his life with Jesus, especially during those three years when he races towards the tomb after he hears that he's died. He took the concept so popular with the Greeks and explained what they've been struggling with all their lives. Indeed, there was a logos, but it was not writing it was he it was jesus christ so we go to john chapter one in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was with god in the beginning through him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made and in john 1 14 he further explains the word of god became flesh and made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only who came from the father full of grace and truth Jesus Christ the son of God who sat in eternity past with his father in the throne room of heaven decided in his plan with God the father and the Holy Spirit in order to redeem mankind that he would leave all that behind and he would come and enter into this earth as a man as a man John the revelator said in writing about the eternal nature of Christ in chapter 19 he says his eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns and on him that no one knows but he himself he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God the armies of heaven were following him riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen white and clean and out of his mouth 
comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As much as I want to talk about Jesus becoming this baby, we first have to remember who he was before he entered into this world. That he is God himself. John testifies and Matthew testifies and Mark testifies and Luke testifies all of these men that walked with him and talked with him and lived with Jesus and then wrote biographies about him that this was God in the flesh who dwelt among them we as Christians believe that God himself 4,000 years before it happened prophesied about the coming of his son in Genesis 3:15, when he said to Adam and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah prophesied and said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. We believe that Matthew declared the prophecy fulfilled when he wrote in Matthew 1, 18 to 23, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from his sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus, he's named Jesus, which means he saves his people from their sins. He's called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So God became man at the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And he's revealed it all in his word in the past, the present and the future and we believe in jesus christ we believe in the eternal second member of the trinity and we believe that he enters the history as a man why is this so important to us because from the day of adam the old sin nature has been passed down from father to child father to child the genetics are there just look look and watch at any baby what happens we're born separated from our god with this old sin nature inside of us and the reason that jesus had to be conceived by the holy spirit is that he would not have that old sin nature inside of him now he was tempted in every way just as you and i are but he proved that it could be done living in the power of the holy spirit as an example for you and i in the virgin birth in luke 1 20 mary this is written by luke the angel said to her do not be afraid mary for you have been found favor with god you will be with child and you'll give birth to a son and you're to give him the name jesus and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high the lord god will give him the throne of his father david and he will reign over the house of jacob forever his kingdom will never end amen, amen. how will this be mary said not it's not possible but how will it be since i'm a virgin and the angel answered and said the holy spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you so the holy one to be born will be called the son of god even elizabeth your relative is going to have a child in her own in her old age and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month for nothing is impossible 
with God. How many of this morning are thinking to yourselves in the situation that you're in, in the circumstance that you're walking through in this day in your life that nothing is impossible with God? Nothing is impossible with God. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to you, may it be to me as you have said. And Lee Strobel in his book, The Case for Christ, said the pattern was thereby set for us for the new birth in man would be the work of the Holy Spirit accepted by faith. Now, all other religions out there, we've talked about this several weeks ago, believe that Jesus was a man who existed in human history. They believe he was a great prophet, a great philosopher, a great champion of the poor, a great fighter for human mercy and justice. But they do not believe he is the only begotten son of God. Christians believe Jesus is the Son of God and is God who became man through a conception by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary. John 3, 16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believed in him would not perish but would have ever eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, the word of God says. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. We could preach weeks off that one passage alone right there. I, I, I love this line. It says, everyone who has done evil hates the light and will not come into light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Last Saturday morning, Pastor Dale Lewis over at Central Community Church, a pastor, a wonderful, awesome man of God, gave so many years to God's kingdom. He was laid to rest, but I want to tell you something. He told me once many years ago, anything anything that has to be con has to be done in secret or under the cover of darkness is always going to be a sinful thing i'll never forget that that man spoke such great wisdom and i know he's celebrating with judy and the lord today and i just blessed by that john wrote in first john dear friends let us love one another for love comes from god everyone who loves has been born of god and knows god Whoever does not have love does not know God because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Remember, we said several weeks ago, the authenticity of this Bible, we gave you all the facts and everything, but on faith, we then accept that and believe the believability of it, the truthfulness of it, all of it there to come back and say, okay, if I believe this and God tells me over and over and over again that Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, then we choose whether or not we're going to believe that. This is the fully human, fully divine Jesus that we're speaking of, a concept so radical that it still puzzles us to think how could he be human and how could he be God? I mean, Colossians 2.9 says that uh, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And 1 John says he was fully human. He says this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not God and Peter wrote about it said therefore since Christ suffered in his body arm yourself also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in the body is done with sin 
this dual nature of jesus i got to study as a young guy in my church they it's called the hypostatic union if you want to write that down <laughs> the coming together of two natures human and, defi- and and divine and it was first declared that reality by christians in 451 a.d at the council in chalcedon that creed declared that christ has two distinct natures human and divine and there's no mixture or intermingling of the two natures and although he had two natures he is one person see a lot of times in our lives we look at jesus with oh yeah well you know i know he i know he he, he staved off temptation i know he did he went to the desert 40 days no water i know he did i know he's crucified all this time. but you know he's god the bible clearly states fully human and fully divine in the process of kenosis in the greek it says he emptied himself of his prerogative to call down those ten thousand angels it was always there but he let it go and he lived that life just like you and i live it today so that we could not look at him and say that he was different he gave us the model he gave us the example and, and paul wrote about it in the church to philippi letter he says your attitude should be the same as that of christ jesus who being in very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be grasped but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross therefore god exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name that at the name of jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father that's who we worship this morning that's who we are singing about this morning that there's something about that name jesus that reminds us he saves us he is came god in the flesh and lived with us and walked with us jesus chose not to live as god but by the power of the holy spirit he lived as we must do our best to live today oh but brad that's such a high standard oh yes it is (laughs) oh yes it is but he said this is the way i want you to live i want you to love more i want you to do the things i've prepared in advance for you to do i want you to live a more abundant life he was telling us and he was showing us in his life on this earth how to live to do that he chose not to avail himself of his divinity but other than on rare occasions when he did do miracle things he wanted to show people he was god in the flesh in those days otherwise he let go of those supernatural powers and he lived as we are to live under the power of the holy spirit and yes we're going to be talking about the holy spirit in a couple of weeks (laughs) hang on to your seats all of those creeds skip from his birth to his death and resurrection but i tell you between those dashes is where you and i are living today gerald hawthorne wrote and said jesus is the supreme example for them of what is possible in a human life because of his total dependence on god are you walking today in total dependence on god or is he the afterthought in the midst of your busy day i know how guilty i am so you know i'm just confessing my sin (laughs) in the midst of a busy day at the office even at the office of the church trying to trying to do good at church right there are moments when i i have a snap wake up moment i said holy buckets 
I haven't even thought about God this morning. I've been, I've been so consumed with the doing, so consumed with what I, what I need to accomplish, so consumed with my tasks at hands, so consumed taking care of the family, so consumed with life itself that I've forgotten that I'm to start my day, live my day, and end my day in the presence of the God that created me and being totally dependent upon Him for every aspect of my life. James Allen Francis wrote these words. They're very famous. Here was a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter shop, I might add, in a land not known for its forests, (laughs) until he was 30, and for three years, he was then an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never owned a home. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside of a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials except himself. He had nothing to do with the world except the naked power of his divine manhood. While he was still a young man, the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. His executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had owned on earth while he was dying, and that was his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen wide centuries have come and gone, and today... He is the centerpiece of the human race and the leader of all progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched and all the navies that were ever built and all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. In the simplicity of that statement, we consider the life Jesus lived as as a man on this earth. But let us not forget, from Genesis 1-1 through Revelation 22-21, Jesus is a member of the Holy Trinity the triune God we say we believe in when we say, I believe in God, the Father, the Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And just in case we do forget, as a man, we look at Him at times, again, and we have to remember from whence He came, that He came and lived on this earth. In Genesis, if you pick up your Bible, He is the, the ram at Abraham's altar. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. 
In Leviticus, you find him as the high priest. In Numbers, he is the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is the city of our refuge. In Joshua, he's the scarlet thread hanging outside of Rahab's window. In Judges, he is our judge. In Ruth, he is our kingsman redeemer. In 1 and 2 Samuel, he is our trusted prophet. In 1 and 2 Kings and in 1 and 2 Chronicles, he is our reigning king. In Ezra, he is our faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of everything that is broken. In Esther, he is the Mordecai sitting faithful at the gate. In Job, he is our redeemer that ever lives. In Psalms, he is my shepherd and I shall not want. In Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom. In the Song of Songs, he is the beautiful bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the suffering servant. In Jeremiah and Lamentations, he's the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he is the wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the midst of the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he is my love that is forever faithful. In Joel, he baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. In Amos, he is our burden bearer. Obadiah says he is our savior. Jonah, he is the great foreign missionary that takes the word of God into all the world. In Micah, he is the messenger with beautiful feet. In Nahum, he is the avenger. In Habakkuk, he is the watchman ever praying for revival. In Zephaniah, he is the Lord mighty to save. In Haggai, he is the restorer of our lost heritage. In Zechariah, he is our fountain. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. In Matthew, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. In Mark, he is the miracle worker. In Luke, he's the son of man, the great physician. In John, he is the door by which every one of us must enter. In Acts, he is the shining light that appears to Saul on the road to Damascus. In Romans, he is our justifier. In 1 Corinthians, he is our resurrection. In 2 Corinthians, he is our sin bearer. In Galatians, he redeems us from the law. In Ephesians, he is our unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he supplies our every need. In Colossians, he is the boldness of the Godhead Father. In 1 and 2 Thessalonians, he is the coming king. In 1 and 2 Timothy, he's the mediator between God and man. In Titus, he is our blessed hope. In Philemon, he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he's the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, he is the Lord that heals the sick. In 1 and 2 Peter, he is the chief shepherd. In 1, 2, and 3 John, it is Jesus who is the tenderness of love. In Jude, he is the Lord coming with 10,000 saints. And in Revelations, lift up your eyes, church, because Jesus Christ and your redemption draweth nigh. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. This is the Jesus that we worship this day. This is the Jesus that left all of that behind and came to this earth 
conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, that you and I might sit here in this room this day and consider all of that and decide for ourselves what shall we believe and how then shall we live. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you. We, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the ability that we have to choose, Lord, for the free will that you've given to us that we might stand before you one day and proclaim, I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died for me on the cross of Calvary. Lord, we just we can't say thank you enough. On this day when we're going to watch a football game and celebrate and have fun and all that, Lord, oh God, how I pray that we stop for some moment in our lives and we lift our, hide, our, our eyes to heaven and we see our soon and coming king we thank you lord for the grace that you have shown to us by coming to this earth and it is in your name that we pray and all of god's people said amen